So as we're entering the home stretch of 2020, I'm going to try and take a moment to be a cheerleader and uh, remind everybody who's listening that some good came out of this dung heap of a year. Um, and so we should all be keeping our eyes on the prize. So many of us learned that we don't have to be in the office to work. While eight hours of Zoom calls a day is clearly not the way we want to live our work lives, we've proven that we can be in places distant from our offices and still do our work. I believe that over time, that's going to open up a world of choices for all of us that will be a truly great thing. I continue to believe that politics in the U.S. will in some way normalize and give most of us a chance to catch our breath. Maybe soon. Please? There are several vaccines that will begin distribution very soon. This is a modern miracle of technology. Remember that. In, in the past, it would take as much as a decade to do what we've accomplished in less than a year. We are possibly seeing some of the greatest dividends of the application of great technology and the advancement of human knowledge in a way that is going to change the world forever. It also means there is an end to the pandemic on the visible horizon. But you should still wear that damn mask for a while longer until we get there. Remember, that's how this thing spreads. Masks save lives. And finally, from the words of my guest today, as a relief valve, repeat after me. I can't control any of this. And none of this is my fault. I will not forget that the whole world is going through this at the same time. Look, the lost year of 2020 is happening to all of us at once. So have the grace to be kind to yourself as well as to those around you. Oh, uh, and did I mention to wear your damn mask? Telia is a visual effects and animation producer. Born and raised in Los Angeles, she saw Jurassic Park at a formative time and decided she wanted to be a part of it. A chance encounter at Disneyland sent her career to the technology department of Walt Disney Feature Animation. She worked at studios such as Digital Domain, Rhythm and Use, Sony Imageworks, and DreamWorks Animation. She also served as digital manager at Gentle Giant Studios, where she developed the framework for their 3D scanning facility in London for Solo, a Star Wars story. And, while there, got to see a lot of Avengers in their underwear. She's a Visual Effects Society board member, as well as a member for the Producers Guild of America. In 2018, she decided to pick up and move her family and two cats to a small village in France. She's currently working with a remote team on a futuristic CG animated feature. In her spare time, she's giving the local Brits French lessons and teaching herself machine knitting. Hi Kat, thanks for coming on the podcast this week. My pleasure. Why don't we start out by you telling the audience a little about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Kat Telia. I'm a visual effects um, and animation producer. I've worked in the field for about 20-ish years. Still love it? I do. I do, actually. I like solving problems. I like working with people. I love how dynamic it is. What I always really liked about it is I am not myself super artistic nor 
super technical, but I do have tendencies in those directions. And I appreciate people who do. And it's definitely being in that field. I always realize these are my people. And I always love talking to them and conversing with them. Even when we're not talking about work stuff, you know, it's the same dynamic and energy and really enjoying. Yeah, yeah. I love I love talking to people about movies. So when I find a group that loves movies as much as I do, yeah, I can get lost for days. Yeah. So talk a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on and what your favorite was. Sure. So I have worked um, at a couple of animation facilities over the years and some visual effects facilities. And um, I started up at uh, Disney Feature Animation, uh, where I met you. And then... Um, I know the place. <laughs> you remember it well. Yeah. And while I was there, I was working in the technology department. So I, was working, I wasn't working on any particular films. And when I switched to visual effects, then I started working on actual productions and it really felt the work that I was doing felt tangible and I could see a measure of time passing as opposed to three years going by and not having actually worked on anything very tangible to, to speak of. So uh, I worked on Peter Pan, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 3, Stealth, iRobot, and then I went to Sony Imageworks, where I worked on my first animated feature, which was uh, Open Season, which was their first animated feature. So a lot of testing of pipelines and whatnot. They're, they had primarily done visual effects before. And then I went back to visual effects at Rhythm and Hues for Alvin and the Chipmunks 1 and uh -huh. The Mummy 3. And... Um, all this was in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, you either live on the west side of town or the east side of town. And you're kind of defined by this. And I always defined myself as someone who lived on the east side. And all these facilities were on the west side. And I kept, I was very determined to shorten my commute and go back to the east side of town. And so I ended up uh, at DreamWorks Animation, where I know uh, that place well also. Saw you again. <laughs> And then yeah. there I worked on um, Kung Fu Panda 2 and How to Train Your Dragon 2. And Kung Fu Panda 2 was a really amazing experience because I started with the rigging department. So I was there towards the beginning of the production. And then so we were building assets. And then after that, I transferred to the crowds department, which was um, specifically shot work, which we took to the very end. So I got to be on the film for a very long time, which was really nice. When you were at DreamWorks, you were an employee of DreamWorks, right? You weren't a contractor to the show. That's correct. I was a DreamWorks employee. Yeah. Yeah, when I worked at a major studios, for the most part, I was an employee of that studio. And then actually for those uh, initial years, the first 10 years or so, I was always an employee of the studio. I was never a contract um, person. And since then, my work has been a little bit more erratic. <laughs> Not erratic, but just sort of not like under the tent pole of a big facility. Um, so um, at back at Disney, remember the Secret Lab days? Were you there for that? Yes, I was. So yes. remember, yeah, remember Rob Burton, who I was don't. sort of the head of the technical part of the visual effects studio. He used to wear a t-shirt that said um, "Migrant Film Worker," and that kind of described <laughs> visual effects. And that was 20 years ago. That was over 20 years ago. Yeah. And it got way worse after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the world changed pretty dramatically uh, back in March when 
the pandemic hit and things started to shut down. I know here in the the West Side, which is where I live, um, everybody all of a sudden had to figure out how to solve technical problems and send people home to work using, you know, home internet, but needing a lot of data flow and things like that in order to get their jobs done. Uh, what was it like for you? First of all, I guess I should step back and say, you're not on the West Side anymore, and you're not on the <laughs> East Side anymore. Why no. don't you talk about where you are? Yeah, so about two years ago, um, actually three years ago, my husband and I had been talking about wanting to move or live internationally, at least for a short period of time. And uh, we had talked about either Japan or France. And we thought it would be a really amazing adventure. We wanted to do it when our kids were young enough that they still think mom and dad are pretty great. And um, <laughs> as opposed to you're ruining our lives. And Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sure that's well, I'm, I've been lucky so far. Both my kids still like me, so it's okay. Yeah, I think... I. I was anticipating this phase coming, but I don't see it coming anytime soon with my two either. So um, we decided on France because I do have French citizenship and uh, we have family here and my mom had a house. And so it was the least difficult transition to do because um, in terms of like visas and permits and whatnot. And so my husband was is American and he is... Um, allowed to work as the spouse of a French citizen and the children are French citizens and we are there to speak uh, some French when we arrived. And um, so we came out here two years ago and the idea was to come out for a year to try it out, but it took us about eight months to go all the paperwork (laughs) filled out and to buy a car, to get finally registered. And we're like, did we just do all this just for like four minutes to four out, four months to relax? (laughs) Why don't we just extend another year? So um, because we have young children, we decided to go come out for a school year. So we came in July of 2018. And so then the summer of 2019, we decided to go to L.A. for a month to visit family and check in on friends and eat as much Mexican food as possible. (laughs) Not a lot of that in France? There, no. (laughs) And also, (laughs) we're not in a city, so it's doubly nowhere to be seen. Okay. And then... um, our plan was to return to California in uh, summer of 2020. And uh, in February of 2020, we were going to take a trip to uh, Scotland, which everyone thinks I was uh, completely bonkers to attempt. I was like, it's not going to be that much colder than it is here. <laughs> and um, we hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed about our trip. And then finally, you know, there was a sort of concerns about this like virus coming up and we decided maybe not. And so we took a little local trip instead, which was at the, during the kids um, February break and the, like the cases were like ramping up and it became like more and more concerning. And then we're like, we just want to get home. We just want to get home. Yeah. And we got home. I think it was like the first week of March and my son's birthday is in mid March. And I remember on March 10th, we were allowed to go to the classroom and like hand out snacks to the kids and then his birthday party was that Saturday and the day before the French government announced lockdown starting that Monday. And so like half the kids didn't show up to the birthday party and mm. it was a very like, do we still have the party? Is this like the last big hurrah before we're all locked down? And at the yeah. time, all that we knew was that the virus didn't affect children as much. Right. And so I was right. like, okay, let's just 
we gambled and we won. So, uh, I mean, if I had to do it again, I'm not sure I would now that I know what I know now. How severe was the lockdown in France? Yeah, so the lockdown was, it was, I remember it was a Thursday, I think the 12th of March, where our president, Macron, announced that, like, starting, there was this, you know, disease and we needed to do a lockdown. We didn't know how much longer it was going to be for. And it was going to be starting... um, that Monday. So there was no preparation time for anything. Um, yeah. I had coincidentally been working at a French company that I started the previous October uh, at about 25 minute drive from us. But they, um, that December, so December of 2019, there were transportation strikes in France and I could not take oh. the train to work anymore. So I'd already started this sort of mixed hybrid working from home situation. It was kind of like a a practice run and, but everyone else was in the office and I was the only one working from home and it was, I felt very disconnected from everyone. And then the project ended at the end of February and then the transportation strike never really fully ended. So I was mostly working from home anyway. And then we found ourselves not fully employed. So the transition employment wise wasn't huge for us. The biggest transition was suddenly we were, uh, schooling from home. What was day-to-day life changes like? I mean, you know, lockdown here in California, um, at least initially, all retail except for essential services, which was grocery stores and uh, auto mechanics and things like that, were closed. Uh, if you were a restaurant and you could do takeout, um, that worked and that was okay. Um, and then pretty much everything else was stopped, right? Unless you were an essential worker, you had to stay home. Yeah. that what That's what it was like there as well? It was very similar. So basically it was a full, complete lockdown. And the only things that were open were grocery stores. Um, okay. Where we are, there are not a lot of restaurants or takeout restaurants. They're kind of like you sit down and you leisurely drink your cup of gallon of wine i don't know uh for like <laughs> hours that, at a time isn't that all of france though yes but there's also you know there's what they call takeaway restaurants or you know to-go places yeah. and uh yeah. quick food places or we don't really there's a drive through restaurant that i can think of in our actual neighborhood but like everything was closed like mcdonald's was closed um which is the one drive through and okay. uh, all the restaurants were closed so the only place you could go was the grocery store and we didn't have masks at the time. So it was kind of like you could go to the grocery store. But you were spreading it. (laughs) Right. But we weren't sure how to kind of protect ourselves. We didn't have a lot of information in the very beginning. And we had to fill out these, um, oh, what are they called in English? They had these attestations, which was basically you had to fill out a form anytime you were planning on leaving the house. And uh, we were permitted to leave the house for about one hour no further than one kilometer from our house. So you could go for a short walk um, after a while. Uh, and the rules kept changing. So you couldn't, after a while, you could ride a bike and then they stopped. You could not ride a bike any further. The lockdowns became more severe. I know in Spain, for their lockdowns, like you could literally only let your animals out to pee for 15 minutes at a time. That was it. <laughs> okay. Or go grocery shopping. So like kids weren't allowed to play outside. So anyone that was in the city that didn't have a yard was like, had their kids like bouncing off the walls. Um, yeah. There's no like cops 
or police in our village. So it was pretty easy to quote, sneak out, you know, for like yeah. quick walks and not run into anyone for an hour and a half. And, uh, but yeah, you had to have the uh, signed attestation. And so, so printers just, were hard to come by too. Uh, Sorry, oh no, that's fine. Describe, describe where you live. I, I have no, I've been to Paris, um, but I have no reference to what it's like to live in a small village in France. Where are you relative to the big cities and what's life like there? So if there was an exact dead center of France, I would be about a 40 minute drive from it. Um, okay. There's about a straight line in between Paris and Bordeaux. There is a high speed train line, the TGV goes there and we are we are about a 30 minute drive from there so um from that train line so the nearest town is angoulême and it's in the charente region of france and that is like the big town that's near us so they have like a couple of big box stores like an equivalent of a target type of thing um and then 15 kilometers from us is a smaller town called Rufek, which does have a small train station in it, but the high-speed train doesn't go through it anymore, to everyone's dismay. And it is, uh, there is, like, our local big box store, which is, like, a really big, like, Vons. (laughs) Okay. Like, you can get lawn furniture there, and uh, there are pharmacies. And then, in our village, there's no bakery, there's no pharmacy, there's no stores, there's no businesses of any kind. There's only about 200 people in our village. Um, there's no public transportation, so you, you do have to drive most places, but I'm from LA, so I don't mind so much because I just pass pastures and pastures and pastures of fields and cows and it's very agricultural out here. It's very rural. Um, it's a lot of, um, in the summer it's sunflowers. We grow sunflowers, we grow wheat, we grow corn and, uh, meat cows, a few dairy cows. It sounds very idyllic. How does somebody who's working in such a high-tech business as you are survive there? There's internet. <laughs> there is internet. Well, yeah. Okay. Is it good um, internet? No. Oh. <laughs> it's not good internet. Um, well, if it's any consolation, I live 15 minutes south of Los Angeles International Airport, and my internet sucks, too. <laughs> we have um, fiber is coming to the region. So... I should preface by saying is Angoulême is actually a hub of animation facilities and small visual effects facilities. There's about 30 to 40 small um, film and TV animation companies in Angoulême. So they have fiber. They're pretty tech forward. Um, They're pretty happy. Uh, I ended up working for two of the companies there. So I was commuting and uh, my spouse is working for one now and he's uh, telecommuting right now. Okay. As I eat up his bandwidth. (laughs) (laughs) So working remotely, uh, how did how did your life change when everybody had to shift to remote? We had already experimented with that previously. So when we first came out to France, I was working for an American visual effects company that had offices in Asia. And they um, we were coming into the office one day a week. So the, the studio model was that everyone was working remotely. And we come into the office one day a week to connect and touch base and go out to lunch and meet the crew. And then we worked from home the rest of the time. And when I approached the team and said, hey, I'm planning on being in France for a year. They're like, they said, that's fine. It's not a problem. Um, I just swung my hours and I worked 
uh, remotely, but I was also online at the same time as Asia was further the day. So my day overlapped a little bit with Asia's day and my day overlapped better with um, Pacific Standard Time. So it right. worked. I was already used to working okay. from home and my spouse was had done some work uh, remote as well. So that wasn't a huge change for us. I think for us, the bigger change was moving from a city to a rural area because then we already got cut off from a lot of the stuff that we were used to doing. We didn't see our friends every day anymore. There was not like a bunch of parties after work. There weren't a bunch of events or birthday parties. A lot of our social life scaled down and mellowed down. There was no takeout restaurants. There was a lot of that really changed when we moved to (laughs) rural France as opposed to being in a big city like Los Angeles. And so I think that was like, that made the confinement a little easier. Okay. So having lived it for a while now, do you prefer this more rural lifestyle to being in a big city? I think living a confinement, we call it the confinement here. So sorry if I keep using that word. Um, no, it's, it's okay. I think it made it a lot easier being in a rural area than being in our house in Los Angeles. So in our house in Los Angeles, we don't have much of a yard either. There's not... We maybe could have gone on a couple of walks, but it wouldn't have been, um, it, it wouldn't, we would have run into people, you know, especially in the beginning of the lockdown, it would have been very, like, there was so much uncertainty. We didn't have enough information as to, are we, you know, how close is it when someone's infectious to you? You know, uh, we really had so little information in the beginning that that was the hardest. So farmers tend to be more conservative types. Are you feeling any kind of uh, pushback um, in, in, especially where you are, but in France in general, to all of the restrictions and the lockdowns? The French like to grumble a lot in general, <laughs> but basically a national pastime. There's constantly protests yeah. and yeah. anger at something or another, always. Um, we had what they called the yellow vest protest. We had the transportation protests. Um, I remember seeing some of that on the news. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, I remember when the yellow vest protests initially started, the yellow vest is a standard safety vest you're supposed to have in your car at all times for um, if you break down or something and you have to step out of your car, you wear it. So you don't, you know, get hit by another car and die. So the idea is that everyone should have it in their, everyone's supposed to have one in their car. And as a show of solidarity, they would put their vest, their safety vest, tucked to the windshield of their car. So when you were driving by and they would, you know, if they were protesting and they saw that you had the yellow vest in the windshield of your car, they'd be like, all right. And there was one time I remember before, you know, we had just gotten here and people were like, where's your vest? Or like folded in the back of the trunk. (laughs) Like, Clearly that was the wrong answer. But in terms of the lockdown, there have been people who have been cheating or blurring the lines about it. But overall, I find people pretty, pretty respectful of it. Where even where we are, like in the grocery store, um, everyone's wearing the masks. Um, there are a lot of people with their noses sticking out, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, you know, I saw a paramedic of all things in uniform in the store last week, and he was wearing his mask below his nose. And I looked at my daughter and I said to her, you think he'd know better? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's it is I think everyone always thinks no one ever thinks this can happen to me. Right. And so you do kind of what you're supposed to do. And I think you never really truly believe it can happen to you. And where we live, it's very um, 
it's, it's very rural, so it's not very young, unfortunately. There's a right. lot, a lot, a lot of older people here. And so you're kind of like, okay, well, you know, if they're having trouble breathing, you know, I kind of understand. But again, they should know better just because, like, they're the most at risk. Um, sure. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing you don't have great medical facilities nearby either if somebody gets no. sick. No, we, uh, it's... <laughs> Much like all rural areas, there is a small local hospital, but the nearest big hospital is that is in Angoulême, which is a 35 minute drive away. Yeah. Yeah. So as we roll into the second big wave of things this winter, have things locked down again? Yeah. So uh, France had a second lockdown uh, in the beginning of November. Uh, It was for about a month um, to get cases down low enough so that... um, so that hospitals wouldn't be overwhelmed. Everyone clearly learned from the last time. So now, first of all, everyone can get masks pretty easily. So we also all know how to grocery shop with our masks on and we don't linger in the stores. Um, all non-essential businesses were closed, but non-essential became loose, right? So it means hairstylists were closed, but the mechanics were open this time. And uh, the biggest things which are still closed, which never really reopened, were sporting arenas, um, big uh, events, you know, concerts. Um, those never really reopened. Um, movie theaters did. Uh, okay. I have not gone. Are they attracting audiences? You know, in the summer, it was interesting because I do follow as someone who works in the film industry and particularly in animation and visual effects is I tend to try and keep up to date to all the big action-y blockbusters. And I was looking forward to Wonder Woman 84. I was looking forward to Black Widow. I was looking forward to Mulan and a tenant. And then none of them came through. And so the only movies that were playing in the, in the local movie theaters were like small indie French movies, which I was like hoping would okay. be like really good for them. Tenet was the only one that crept through, but I have not, um, I've not been to the movies in like a year. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. It's kind of the same thing here. Uh, L.A. County, because we never really got our numbers well under control, never reopened movie theaters. And yeah. um, I was at the Americana, which is a big outdoor uh, shopping center in Glendale mm-hmm. um, th- uh, about three weeks ago. And the movie theater is closed, but the marquee looked like last Thanksgiving's, right? I mean, it had all of the big movies from the end of 2019 still up on the marquee. Oh, they it didn't even weird. change them. That's weird. No. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't take them down. They didn't put up any signs or anything. They just closed the doors. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> it is. And I feel, I mean, France is a huge hospitality industry and that hospitality industry really took a hit, you know, yeah, um, I'll bet. America, a lot of tourists, uh, this summer France was open for tourism and stuff roughly came back to normal. And, uh, we didn't go much anywhere this summer, but we did go on a small trip in October to a very public, um, to a very famous monument. And, okay. but I still have not been to Paris in, a year, <laughs> over a year. Yeah. Uh, actually, last time I was in Paris was last November for a friend's birthday. She came from America. It was her 40th and we had a big girls weekend and it was awesome. And I was like, I felt like it was the last big hurrah <laughs> of, you know, of going out and traveling. And I even, I remember I had a cold too when I went and I, I was like, ah, forget it. I'll just, I'll just keep going. You know, and it's her birthday. I promised her I'd be here and I muscled through it. You know, I took a bunch of drugs and went to yeah. a bunch of stuff and hopped up on cold meds. So how do you feel about the next six months? It's, it's really 
wonky because we were, like I said, as we were supposed to move back to California in August and in middle of June, we were still like, do we go? Do we stay? You know, <laughs> what, what do we do? Is the situation easier to write out here or is it easier to write out in LA? And we opted to stay, we opted to stay in France for another six months to see how it's going. And here we are six months later. And um, at least the kids are still able to go to school. We did have that second lockdown, which just lifted uh, this week. Um, well, that's good. Christmas stuff was not able to be sold. Toy stores were not able to open. Bookstores weren't able to open. And uh, the big box stores, like that big giant Vons, they have like a clothing aisle and a toy aisle and Christmas decor. And they weren't able to sell it. They had it like all blocked off. And then finally this week, everything was able to be sold again. And, uh, yeah, so it's the kids are in school, so they have that sort of normalcy. They are going in person to school. They have to wear masks in school. Even during our last lockdown, that was the biggest change this time was that the kids were allowed to go to school. So it gave them that normalcy. It's messy here right now. We're going into another period of lockdown, especially here in California. I'm afraid that the hospitals are about to take a big hit because people thought it was smart to get on airplanes and travel around the country for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, So I think we're going to have a rough Christmas and definitely a rough January. Um, But there's already uh, approval on a vaccine, so we should start seeing distribution here in the u.s probably by the middle of december um and it's going to go to first responders and um folks locked down in nursing homes and things like that first but i have a lot of faith that by summer things should be better yeah i mean same thing here is uh, i think france is uh, buying american (laughs) has bought american vaccine And they are planning on rolling it out to healthcare providers and uh, nursing home residents. Um, Same thing because, you know, kids aren't as much at risk. There has, there was a study that said that uh, possibility of the MMR vaccine might uh, contribute to people not getting as sick. And since it is standard in France and in uh, most of America as well for children to get an MMR vaccine, they think that might be one of the reasons. Um, Oh, that's interesting. I fortunately got an MMR booster about six years ago, so I am very excited about having got that shot. If it's accurate, I you know I haven't read up on it officially, um, but so France is looking at the same timeline. I think that's the biggest thing. Is I knew this winter would be really really hard because holidays are coming up, you know, and France doesn't observe Thanksgiving, but we are Americans in France. And so we weren't able to invite anyone over or go to anyone else's house. I mean, we could have snuck it, but we, we chose not to. So we just had, you know, Thanksgiving. And then we just uh, did video chat with family abroad. And France is really hoping that, you know, they can at least save, save Christmas. Um, Yeah. And I don't even know what Christmas is looking like. I I'm usually someone who, you know, I am someone who plans everything for a living and I've just sort of embraced this, you know, the madness. <laughs> it's sort of it's a mild chaos. There's always like a loose chaos around day to day life when you work in entertainment and when you have uh, tiny yeah. people in your life. And I think it's just sort of leaning into it. Is I can't control any of this. None of this is my fault. None of this is something that I can do about. And so I think that sort of helps alleviate any anxiety I would have towards it. Um, yeah. I know I definitely 
one thing that sort of is not, well, it's not really soothing, but it's sort of helpful is I remember is the whole world is going through this at the same time. Yeah, it's it's actually a little comforting, right? It is, because I know at one point people were really worried about, you know, kids and school. And I was all like, everyone is in the same, has the same problem. Like, no kid, you know, any kid that is over the age of like five is going to remember 2020 as that year. Yeah. And every yep. kid You're is... absolutely right. Every kid is going to have some delay, but they're all going to be delayed to a certain extent. So everyone will be giving them grace. And even if we move back from one country to another, you know, in America, the schools will be like, hey, we all went through a pandemic. It was all this very bonkers situation. Everyone's going to have, I think, a little bit more grace about it. I hope you're right. I hope so, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're getting towards the end. Uh, Anything you want to plug while we're talking? Um... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm working on um, on an animated uh, feature remotely. Um, we're trying to. I'm trying my hand at developing a project, which I've never done before. Uh, it's pretty exciting. And when we started this project, the idea behind it was that um, we would be working with multiple studios. And then uh, COVID hit shortly after I came on board the project, which was uh, last February. And we realized how quickly, how easily it would be to just sort of transform it to a remote an entirely remote process which became very easy to to do it was like oh well you know just no problem we'll just switch to a whole remote pipeline which is which is possible and i think that was sort of the idea is everyone i love how it's definitely been some challenges to have everyone go work remotely but since ever this is like as we mentioned earlier is because this is happening globally everyone's pivoting at the same time now everyone is much more open to working remotely video calls and, you know, I belong to some professional guilds and they've moved everything online. And so now I can attend events, yeah. which, yeah. which has been I'm a, I'm great. a member of, I'm a member of at least one of them with you. So I know. Yeah. Um, it's actually, I mean, as terrible as it is to have a pandemic, if we had to have one, this was the right moment in time because things like video conferencing and internet technology is far enough along that we've been able to do all this stuff, right? If this was yeah. 10 years ago, it would have been a complete disaster. We would have felt way more disconnected. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid and my grandmother lived on another continent, you know, phone calls were like incredibly expensive. This was the whole long distance yep. wars of MCI and Sprint and AT&T. Yep, yep. I remember. And they would, you know, a, a phone call to grandma was like, you know, uh, say hi. <laughs> And that was it. Yeah. And that was my only connection that I got to talk to her, you know, for an entire year. And whereas now my kids, you know, we Skype, they baked cookies with grandma the other day, you know, was we follow the same recipe and uh, we play Among Us online together via FaceTime. Oh, sweet. Um, <laughs> It is, it definitely has that, it definitely allows us to feel much more connected and less isolated. I think, as you said, this, it, it couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, if this had happened in the yeah. 50s, this would have been, you know, a lot of businesses would have just stopped. And yeah. like, I know in animation, a lot of stuff would have been able to, um, animation, you know, and visual effects have been able to do some work. Yeah, actually, they've been pretty successful staying open and up and running. I was amazed at how quickly the illusion that people had <laughs> to be in the physical studio to work uh, was able to go away. Yeah. Um, I know my spouse was definitely very excited about it because he um, 
his computer at home is much fancier than the one they have in the office. And he works better uh-huh. at home because there aren't as many distractions, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, I just want a better setup. My chairs work. Yeah. And, it, and it's a blessing for a lot of people going forward, right? Because you can live in a small village and roll fans and potentially still work for Disney or DreamWorks yeah. on movies. And, and you don't have to worry about paying the cost of living in L.A. anymore. Yeah. And that's a huge, that was a huge part about it is, you know, a lot of people, I mean, for years and years and years, I remember working at the studios, their biggest claim was like, no, you can't work from home. We need this data, you know, here it's, it's impossible. And so if you had, you know, the animation and the tech industry tend to attract um, a lot of people on the spectrum. And Uh, um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. (laughs) And the people who, you know, don't necessarily thrive in an environment where there's a lot of noise and people. And now we're saying, oh, yeah, you can be home in your pajamas and put your headphones on and not deal with the anxieties of being in traffic for two hours and, you know, be have dinner with your kids every night. You know, there's I hopefully I hope we learn from this and we learn the balance of um, that maybe our lives shouldn't be all work and that, you know, we can do a little bit of both. I think on the tech side, we'd already been sliding into that. I was working for a large e-commerce business based in Beverly Hills was my last job, which ended back in November of last year. Mm -hmm. And um, getting people to come into work was impossible because we were not near a freeway and we were in just that one spot on the west side of LA that was almost impossible to get into. Beverly Hills is really Um, hard to get to. (laughs) And so one of the things we had to do was offer people time working from home. Otherwise, we couldn't attract the talent. So now I think what we're going to see is a glut of commercial property because a lot of companies will just shrink their offices or close them down. Mm -hmm. And potentially we're going to see people moving to places like Iowa Mm -hmm. and still working for the company. And now as a business owner... They're going to have to figure out how they pay the guy who's working locally, you know, 150000 a year, and the guy in Iowa who's doing the same job, something that's <laughs> commiserate with where he lives. There's all kinds of interesting challenges in front yet, but the world is different going forward. It's never yeah. going to be what it used to be. There's definitely d- different aspects of cost savings there. It's like they don't have to, like, what are the, I saw an article about that the other day. They're saying, what is a workplace perk now, right? Because- no one, yeah. Do people really care about the coffee cart? Do they really care about the climbing wall and the gym and the free lunches? Or do they want to just work, be able to work from home and have that flexibility and, you know, walk their dog or have friends or. Yeah, there is still something to be said for the human interaction, the face to face human interaction. I do miss and, it. Um, how it breaks up the day. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it, too. I mean, even here, I have a bunch of friends, but it's like we haven't been able to socialize as much as we would have especially during this summer cat thank you for joining me on the podcast today it was a real pleasure talking with you my pleasure bye